I would invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 22. Hebrews chapter 7, 11 through 22. Start on a, just a very serious and, and wonderful gospel note here. Yours and my greatest need in all of life is to be made right with the God who created us. Greater than our greatest financial need, greater than our greatest relational need, bodily need, emotional need, occupational need, familial need, greater than our greatest needs otherwise is this to be made right with the God who created us. For we have all sinned against him. And deep down, we know that we've all been made by him. We belong to him and we are accountable to him. Deep down, we know that God desires us to think and to speak and to live righteously For that is why he so fearfully and wonderfully made us that we would live in right relationship with him as we reflect his righteous likeness upon the earth. That's what we were made for. But instead, we have each done what our first parents did long ago in the Garden of Eden. Right? If you remember the story, God established one single boundary for Adam and Eve. God gave them access to everything in the garden, gave them dominion over everything in creation. But in order that they would simply remember that they are not God, he is God, only he has access to everything, but that they would remember that they were not in fact God, God gave them this one boundary You shall eat from every tree in the garden except that one right there, just that one. They ate of it. And I would have too if I had been there. They did what we all do. They took and ate of the one tree that God deemed off limits to them. Yours and my greatest problem is that we have each done as Adam and Eve did. We've each behaved as though we are gods over and above the creator God. And therefore, our greatest need is to be made right with him for this treason. Our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sin and washed of our guilt and restored to right relationship with our creator and unto the abundant and everlasting life he has designed us for. Do you sense the truth of this in your spirit? Do you sense the truth of this, the correctness of this in your conscience? The good news is this, there is a way. There is. There is one way that you and I, now and forever, can be completely absolved, completely forgiven of our sin 
totally washed of lingering guilt and shame and restored to right relationship with God unto the abundant and everlasting life that he has made us for. And that one way is through God the Son, Jesus Christ, who not only paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross, he rose to life and ascended back to heaven in order to serve continuously as our great high priest who continually ensures the blood-bought innocence of those who trust him. If you are in Christ, you have right now in resurrected and bodily form a great high priest who is right now perfectly interceding on your behalf. And like Pastor Ed mentioned during our prayer of confession, you have been forgiven, completely forgiven for your every sin, past, present, and future. The reason we continue to confess our sin, of course, is a relational reason. There's a humility in acknowledging the pain of the cross. When we come and ask for forgiveness, we know that it was our sin that placed Jesus upon the cross to pay for it. But we are forgiven in Christ for our every sin, our every iniquity, our every transgression. Hallelujah. Have you placed your trust in Christ? Do you believe that about him? Have you confessed that you're a sinner deserving of God's judgment, but that you hear some good news and you'd like to, you'd like to believe it true? You'd like to take Christ up on being forgiven and washed and reconciled to God through his blood. If you haven't, I would urge you right now to place your trust in that gospel message of Jesus, Christ crucified and resurrected. And if you have, well, you have been and are and will forever be saved from sin and death and separation from God and you have and are and will be saved into real, resurrected, eternal life, signed, sealed, delivered. Now, why do I begin on that note? Well, firstly, that's the best news you will ever hear in your life. Secondly, this is the very gospel message that the first century Jewish Christians to whom the book of Hebrews was first written, they were beginning to veer from this message. They were going back and they were looking to the Levitical priests and temple sacrifices and the law of Moses to make them right with God and to keep them right with God. But God did not design those things to save sinners. He designed them to show sinners their need for a savior. He designed the Levitical priests and temple sacrifices to lead his people, to point his people to a better priest, a better sacrifice who can and would perfectly accomplish their salvation their redemption. And this is precisely what the writer of Hebrews conveys to us in our passage this morning. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 22, and I'm going to read 
Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, <laughs> we draw near to you now only through that better hope. The better hope you have provided us. The better hope that has a name, Jesus, your Son and our Savior. For the glory of the name of Christ and by the enabling power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to understand this passage and believe this passage and apply this passage for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we gathered from Hebrews chapter seven, verses one through 10, that before the nation of Israel had even come into being, and before the law of Moses and the Levitical priesthood had been given to the Israelites as a guardian, before all of that, a mysterious priest king named Melchizedek rode out and blessed Israel's founding father, Abraham. And then Abraham, Israel's founding father, the great patriarch of the entire nation, and then Abraham recognized Melchizedek's superiority over him by giving him a tenth of his possessions. We talked last week about this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. I believe 
that while Melchizedek was indeed a real historical person himself, I also believe that Melchizedek serves as a glorious Old Testament type or a symbol, a foreshadowing of Christ. And the reason why Melchizedek appeared in last week's passage and why the writer of Hebrews brings him up again in this passage, Hebrews 7 verses 1 through 11, the reason why Melchizedek is in view here is because the writer of Hebrews wants us to know it's the very same order and essence and breed of a priest that we see in Christ. Christ is of the order of Melchizedek. And if Melchizedek was superior to the patriarch Abraham, no one was greater than Abraham. But Melchizedek was. And if Melchizedek was superior to the patriarch Abraham, well then, so is Christ, and Christ is also superior over the Levitical priesthood, the entire priesthood that descended from Abraham's great grandson, Levi. Now, in the old covenant system, there's some heady history here, okay? We've already, you've already seen that in this series, and it's good for us. It's good for us. In the old covenant system, the priests were responsible for representing the Israelites before God. The priests would act as mediators between God and man. They would perform various sacrifices and offerings for sin so as to make the people acceptable before God and to God. As the writer of Hebrews makes clear, actually throughout our passage, he hints at it in 11 and 12, 13, 14, and 16, according to the law of Moses, according to the law of Moses, only descendants of Levi, Abraham's great-grandson, only descendants of Levi could serve as priests. So beginning with Aaron, Moses' brother, every priest after Aaron had to be born of the tribe of Levi, hence the, the term Levitical priesthood, Levitical priesthood, right? But, but, Ever since the inception of the Levitical priesthood, and even though the Levitical priesthood, read through Genesis through Deuteronomy, they are central to the law of Moses. Ever since the inception of the Levitical priesthood, and even though they were central to the law of Moses, the Levitical priests could never fully accomplish what needed to be accomplished. They could never save sinners. They could model for sinners what a needed savior would do, but they could not do it themselves. It's almost as if there was a band-aidness about the Levitical priesthood to, to deal with the symptoms of sin, but, but never to wash away the sinfulness. They just couldn't do it. And thus... From the outset of the Levitical priesthood, from the outset, by design, a superior priest, a lasting priest, a perfect priest was needed. 
from the outset. And this is the very simple point that the writer of Hebrews is making in our passage. Now, when it comes to an outline, I normally try to present, you know, two or three, sometimes four points. I went around and around and around on how to outline this passage such that, you know what, I just made one point. And we're just, so write this down if you're a note taker. Only Christ, our perfect perfecter, can save us. I believe that's the song that is sung in these verses. Only Christ, our perfect perfecter, can save us. Only he can make us right with God. Only he can keep us right with God. Only Christ. In verse 11, the writer of Hebrews asks a fitting rhetorical question. He says, or he asks, if perfection, that is completion, if completion, of salvation, of being justified before God, being made right with God. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood who served according to the law of Moses, then why would there have been any need for Christ to arise from a superior priestly order that had been foreshadowed centuries before the order of Melchizedek? Why would Christ have needed to come if perfection had been attainable in the old order, the old system? If you and I, and if the Jewish Christians to whom this letter was first written could be made righteous and kept righteous under the old covenant system, we wouldn't need a better covenant. We wouldn't need Christ. We wouldn't need the better covenant over which he is the guarantor, verse 22. That better new covenant is going to be a theme that the writer of Hebrews is going to explore. But for our purposes this morning, the old covenant system, the Levitical priesthood and temple sacrifices which were central to the law of Moses, all the feasts, everything, you could not separate the Levitical priests and the sacrifices from the law of Moses. They were one and the same. And that is the whole old covenant system and it could not save people and it could not keep them right with God. It could not. It was by design weak to do that. Verse 19, the law made nothing perfect, made no one perfect, but Christ does. And therefore, verses 12 through 16, you're reading that correctly, and this would have been straight up scandalous for the Jewish Christians, the law would need to be changed. The law would need to be changed in order to accommodate Christ as the superior priest because he came from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, and that was not okay. And he not only came from the tribe of Judah, Judah is the tribe where all the kings came from. Levi was the tribe where all the priests came from. But he's coming from a superior priestly 
order, the Melchizedekian order. The tribe of Judah was for kings. Jesus is a king. The tribe of Melchizedek is the superior priestly order, and we've already seen that Jesus is our prophet. We're starting to really, there's some theological intricacy here where the writer of Hebrews is unpacking for us right in front of our eyes. Jesus is the absolute fulfillment, prophet, priest, king. All of the prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament sung the song of Jesus, and they didn't even know Jesus by name yet. Only Christ, our perfect perfecter, can save us. Verses 16 and 17. He has become a priest, not on the basis of the legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but he has become a perfect high priest by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you, Christ, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what the writer of Hebrews is explaining to us is that Christ has arisen the perfect high priest from outside the ancestral requirements of the law of Moses and by the power of his resurrected and indestructible life, he will not never, he will never not be our perfect high priest. He is now and forever, amen, our perfect high priest. And this is really good news. Let me, let me try to apply this and I'll apply it to myself first. This is really good news if you're like me. And sadly, even after placing your trust in Christ, even after having your heart cut by the gospel message, you've returned to sin like, dog returns, like a dog returns to its vomit. That's me. I mean, every week, every day, I return to my sin even though I know I've been cleansed from it and I've been freed from its bondage. I've been freed from it. The Lord has brought me. He's ushered me into the good and godly life he has designed for me, but I repeatedly return to my sinful ways of thinking and speaking and acting, my sinful attitudes. I'm just so consistent to return to my sin. And therefore, it's really, really, really good news for me. And if you can relate with me, then it's really, really, really good news for you that you have a perfect high priest forever. Forever. He continues right now to plead his blood before the Father. Every time, if you are in Christ, every time you return to your sin like a dog returns to its vomit, Jesus says, no, no condemnation. Forgive him. Forgive her. And Holy Spirit, lead them to repentance and fullness of life. Every time you and I sin because we have a forever high priest, he is mediating, interceding on our behalf even right now, bodily form, nail-scarred hands, right before the Father where he is saying, no condemnation for that one. He or she is in me by faith. We have someone interceding for us forever. And with him interceding us for, for us forever, it really makes sense of the promise that we read in 
Philippians chapter one, like right off the bat, that, that he will finish what he has started in us. That the, that the priest who is representing us, his own sacrifice, he was the sacrifice and he is the priest who represented. He will not let go those who are in him. He will finish what he has started. He will finish it. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who forever lives and pleads for me. Only Christ, our perfect perfecter, can save us. Verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, folks, a better hope is introduced and through that hope that's where we draw near to God that it is through that hope through that conduit and his name is Jesus that's how and where we draw near to God the original Jewish Christian audience to receive this it would have all been very difficult to swallow they were not beholding this better hope that had been introduced because they were going back. They were looking toward the Levitical priests and the temple sacrifices of the law to make them acceptable to God and to keep them acceptable to God. But it was all in vain for there was actually no longer an old covenant to return to. It's been set aside. The priesthood and sacrifices according to the law proved their own weakness and they've been set aside. That's literally what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us. Those sacrifices and the priest, they had to do with every single feast. Look, read the Torah. A better hope was introduced when Christ came onto the scene. One that is actually able to make us right. One who is actually able to keep us right with God. This is what God promised with an oath. None of the Levitical priests, none of them enjoyed their role by an oath, by a promise. Verses 21 and 22, God made a promise and his name is Christ. The old covenant you see had set the stage for the unveiling of the new and the better brought to us by Christ. Only Christ, our perfect perfecter, can save us. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you're likely familiar with that term covenant. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this for one, our passage only mentions the better covenant. For two, in a few weeks, couple weeks, Pastor Ed, Lord willing, will be unpacking the passage that, that more uh, explores this idea. But I think it's important for us to understand the term here. A covenant is a formal binding agreement between two or more parties. Throughout the story of Scripture, God makes a number of covenants with a number of characters at a number of key moments in the story. The Old Covenant, which is also called the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant, was the conditional covenant, the bilateral covenant. 
It was an agreement that God made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, and it is summarized perfectly in Deuteronomy 30, verses 16 through 18. If the Israelites obeyed God's commands as spelled out in the law of Moses, if they did that, then God would bless them. But if they disobeyed God's commands, God would curse them. This is what the old covenant over the course of 1,500 years worked to prove that time and time again, the Israelites were incapable of holding up their end. They were incapable of achieving and keeping the righteousness that God requires of his people. And in proving this, this is the point of the old covenant, to prove that a new and better covenant was needed. Proving this was the ultimate purpose because it revealed to the Israelites and the whole world that our only hope for achieving righteousness and securing the blessing of our creator God rests upon the graciousness of a savior. And thus, the stage is set for the better covenant, the new covenant. And let me just read a few scriptures that I pray by the Holy Spirit will sing to your heart. These scriptures from the New Testament define what the new covenant is. It is not a bilateral agreement. It is a one-way blessing from God. Listen to this. Christ, from Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse for us on the cross. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Colossians 1.21, we who were once alienated from God because of our sin, we've now been reconciled to God forever through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he who knew no sin, Jesus, he bore our sin and died on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. And God, the Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, has made us ministers of this new covenant. For the old written covenant ends with death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And life to the full. A life that with a mustard seed, size of faith, says, you know what? I'm a sinner I acknowledge it. I know that my greatest need is to be made right with you. And I believe, Father, that Jesus has provided that. That his life, death, and resurrection is the means by which I can be reconciled to you. And not just saved from my sin, saved into everlasting freedom and forever life that starts right now. And I bear by the Holy Spirit's inhabiting of me, just as that last path, under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. You know what life looks like? The fruit of the Spirit growing up steadily and surely in your life, bubbling forth with love, with actual love and joy, heart-level joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is the fruit that blossoms up in the lives of those who grab a hold of Christ and the new covenant promise that has been promised to us by God. We trust him and a new 
salvific work that has never been seen before in the history of redemption springs forth from us. Do you believe this morning that your greatest need is to be made right with and kept right with the creator God of the universe who is holy? Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's greater, that your need to be made right with him is greater than your greatest financial need and relational need, bodily need, emotional need, occupational, familial need? Yours and my greatest need is to be made right with and kept right with the God who created us and who desires to have a relationship with us. Trust that. Right now in your seat, believe that. If, if you're believing this for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Please come and tell me, yes, I believe that. I'll confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart. For this is our perfect perfector, Christ Jesus. Will we trust him? Because he can and will finish what he has started in each one of us. Let's pray. And let's sing our hearts out. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his cross. Our better hope, our better hope has been opened and we draw near with the eyes of our spirit, the eyes of our heart having been enlightened. We look into the full gaze of Christ and we are filled with this joy, we are now and forever saved, signed, sealed, delivered. Nothing and no one can or will pluck us out of your hand. You will finish what you have started and come hell or high water, no matter how difficult, you will hold us fast. Help us to hold fast to this good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.